welcome to the Damp Detectives podcast, investigating the causes of and the solutions to damp and mould in your home. Hello everyone, I'm here again today with Robert Horn, who's the Managing Director of Damp Detectives. Today we're talking about mould, and I think probably the opening question is the most logical one, which is, Robert, what causes mould? Okay, well, mould is a natural substance that we have around this world, and if we didn't have it, we'd be probably two miles deep in leaves and cabbages and everything else. One of the many things that it does is breaking down vegetable material, things like that. It's in the air all the time with spores, but that's not a danger to us in any way, shape or form, because we have got defensive mechanisms, our nose and the back of our throat, etc., that catches spores and so unless you're very very young or very very infirm if you've got an immune system which is compromised then molds are generally not a problem but the interesting thing is that mold is floating around in your house just as it varies every day it can be a lot one day and very little the next day interestingly enough in the summer when the farmers are out cutting the wheat and that sort of thing, mould count it goes off the scale. But inside our actual house, mould is like humans. It needs three things to live. Generally, it needs to breathe, it needs to feed, it likes to have its own territory, and it will defend its territory, and it will reproduce. Everything that we do, mould does. So when you're actually in the house... <laughs> so, I'd never but, thought of mould like that. <laughs> They don't dress up as much as we do. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point is, usually in a normal house, you may have painted walls or perhaps you've got painted wallpaper, things like that. Lots of people say to me, how on earth do I get mould on painted surfaces? Well, if you're cooking a chicken and somebody's upstairs and they can smell that fabulous curries coming up or whatever it is, or you've just burnt the chicken and you can smell it coming yep. up. That is proteins and fats being carried from the kitchen by the warm air of the actual cooking yeah. and it gets carried around the house and it will settle in microscopic thickness, you know, just tiny amounts on the surface of the walls and that sort of thing. So that is the food source that the mould will feed on. Okay. But the mould is like a guy in a raincoat. You can throw a bucket at the guy in the raincoat and he doesn't feel damp. The mould has got a shell. And when it gets damp enough, it penetrates the shell and the mould thinks, great, it's now wet out there, I can grow. So it settles, happens to be going past the food. It's now wet enough to start growing. It's got the food. It likes to be in the corners because air doesn't go into a corner. It just goes gently around yeah, it. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't like to be in a drafty place. And then it'll start to grow. And that's what it is. Basically, the one thing that makes mould grow is moisture. If you haven't got the moisture, you can have everything else, but it won't grow. So this is why when I wash it off, it keeps coming back. Yeah, it doesn't actually because keep coming back. Because you're not fixing the problem. Quite right. The same mould doesn't actually come back. You it's, can it's wash different it away. mould. <laughs> yeah, when you're washing mould off, and you can quite happily do this with a wet sponge and soapy water. Yeah, because, I've got it in the wet room. Yeah, That's... so what you're doing is you're not lifting anything off so that you can breathe. You're just keeping it in the wet sponge, and you can rinse it away in the sink. Great, it's not a problem. 
while you're doing that, you're actually cleaning the food away off the wall. Yeah. So you still haven't cured the damp issue, but you've now cured the food source. So it depends when the mould comes back. The mould may come back in 72 hours, which means you've got a seriously wet problem because the food source has come back. Yep. But it may not come back for six weeks, eight weeks, six months, in which case you know that you haven't got much of a moisture problem, but all you've done is remove the food source. And it's not dangerous to remove the food source. There's no point squirting it with bleach because when you squirt things it all becomes vaporising, it's all in the air in minute droplets if and what? you're breathing it in. I've used one of those proprietary products. Right. There's bleach in it, but it has other things. So it's a spray for removing black mould. And it does. It's a very strong smelling, so it's, I know it's a powerful chemical, but it removes it in minutes. But within a couple of weeks, it's back. Yes, New mould is back. Very yeah. new mould is back. Yeah. Whereas I could have just done it with a damp sponge, and saved myself about eight pounds because these products are incredibly expensive. And you could have saved your lungs as well. Yeah. Because you wouldn't have been breathing in the bleachy which is, substance, which is really toxic and revolting, and the flat stinks of it. Yeah. Honestly, my home sounds squalid. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I get that. I have black mould in the bay window in the right. breakfast room. Yes. As well, which is a cold spot in the yes. flat. And it's not severe, but with that, I have wiped it many times and it does come back. But Do it, you, it's not a severe problem, but it's there. Do you have curtains across your bay? No, uh, blinds. Okay. So one of the things you think about that a window is like a radiator. Okay. Yep. So it's a large area. And when it's really cold outside, the window cools down. Yes. And then it radiates cold, just like a radiator does. That really figures because yeah. it's very cold in that bay. A lot of people think that a radiator warms up a house. No, it doesn't. <laughs> if you put cold water in a radiator, it will radiate cold. If you put hot water in a radiator, it radiates hot. So the thing <laughs> is, a window is exactly the same thing. So normally the window reflects the temperature of the room. But in a night time in the winter when it really drops outside, yep. it doesn't drop as much as the cold outside, but it still drops quite considerably. And when you put your blinds over it, you've now got, instead of the radiator radiating into a large room, you've now got the radiator radiating into a tiny area. Yep. So it makes it incredibly cold. Behind that, because its radiate, its influence is huge yep. behind that blind. That makes sense. And so that's why you're often you're going to get mould and condensation actually on that glass. But I mean that it's still down to the amount of moisture in the air. Yes. But that's what creates that. Are mould spores themselves dangerous? They can be. You yes. hear about people inhaling them and children yes. being very badly affected, that route. The mould spores, as I said, very young children do not have the defence that we have as adults immune against mould spores. And the elderly or those with suppressed immune systems will suffer as well from mould spores. But the mould spores themselves, mould, like us, when mould is reproducing... It's mature. It starts off as a tiny bit of mould. Then it creeps out. It feeds. It sends out mycotoxins, 
which are enzymes to either help its digestive or to defend against other fungi and molds. Now, a lot of people actually talk about headaches. I get a headache. You know, I wake up in the morning. That's not me, but, you know, customer will say, I wake up every morning in my bedroom, I get a screaming headache. But that's normal, isn't it? No. Why is it normal? (laughs) And I say to them, when you go to your friend's house and you spend the weekend at your friend or your mother's place, do you wake up with a screaming headache? They go, no, I don't. No. And quite often... That is to do with the mycotoxins that the mould is giving off. Now, that's not spores because the mould hasn't got to that stage. You've got really bad mould if mould has got to the point where it's actually giving off spores. It's very mature then and it's reproducing. But the vast majority of cases, the mould is quite immature and so it's still growing. It's not giving off spores. It's not giving off spores. But it is giving off mycotoxins. And mycotoxins, the one of Stachybotrys, which is the black mold that you can see, yep. there are several yep. black molds. So don't get panicky every time you see a black mold. <laughs> but if you do have Stachybotrys, Stachybotrys was found in Ukraine in 1935 when their cattle was getting ill because Stachybotrys was in the grain. Okay. And from that, the Russians developed a nerve agent called T2, which has been used in several wars. Yes. And it's still on the shelves, it's still being used by people. So stachybotrys, the actual enzymes, the mycotoxins that stachybotrys gives off will create problems. And they're listed in the NHS. When you go on NHS websites, it talks about there are four main ones, which are penicillin, stachybotrys, aspergillus, and clandosporium. I think I pronounced that right, I'm not quite sure. But those are the main four. But everything starts from damp. Yep. Okay, we may be talking about mould. But at the end of the day, the mould won't grow unless... Without the damp. Without the damp. Going back to my bay window, and now I understand why it is so cold. You've made that very clear. But there are opening windows, and I open those thinking, get the air circulating, because I do understand that damp plays a part in the mould, obviously. I open the windows, but the mould comes back. How can I make a difference to what's going on? How can I remedy what's happening? It's often banded about that mould is created by a ventilation issue. Yeah. Well, that's not always the case. You can have your windows open, all your windows open in the house all day and be freezing cold and you can still get mould. Right. (laughs) So it's not necessarily a ventilation issue. It's such a common thought process with many institutions and things, and there's a huge business built on it, that if you've got mould, this has got to do with ventilation. The thing is, mould has to have a damp environment. Now, if you've got a damp wall, which you can't physically see, you can't see the damp on the wall. But it's damp. um, But you've got damp, you might have a slight (coughs) leak in the roof, you could have leaks around the windows, this sort of thing. Yep. Then that makes the wall colder. It's cooler. It makes the wall cooler. So without getting too technical, the point is you warm up this room to 20 degrees centigrade. All your walls, because they're nice and dry, will absorb that 20 degrees centigrade and reflect, radiate 20 degrees centigrade back, 19 degrees centigrade back, because they're dry and they radiate it back. If one of those walls has got moisture in it, the moisture absorbs the energy from the air in the room and it will reflect 15 degrees back. So ladies are far more sensitive to this than blokes. Blokes will stand there and go, I've got damp or I haven't got damp. A lady will be sitting there thinking, 
I can feel my clothes are getting wet. I can sense that that part of the room is colder than that part of the room. I can feel the sheets on the bed just feel tacky. Yeah. You know, yeah. my curtains don't look right. You know, they're using all their senses, whereas we don't. <laughs> so the point is, you will find that you can have an area where a wall is actually reflecting back a much lower temperature. And so... You have perfectly normal living standards, perfectly normal amount of moisture in the air. But when that little bit, you know, paper thin, less than paper thin, as it passes that wall, that wall will radiate a much cooler temperature. It then causes the moisture in that air to condense or get very close to condensing on that little bit of wall. And the mould will then go, woohoo. Terrific. It's nice and wet in that area. Wet wall. We're back to wet wall, aren't we? Yes. Wet walls are quite major in this. Quite often, ventilation, mould is listed with ventilation. And they say, if you've got mould or you've got condensation, it's a ventilation problem. No, it can easily be created by moisture in the wall from some other completely different reason. So that's the base reason for it. It's not ventilation. It's not, not keeping the air circulating. No. You've got to go beyond that. Yes. That's I've, superficial. It's the damp. Yes. That's at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you've got to look at each individual case individually. Yeah. Because you can have case number A, they could be perfectly normal, opening windows all the time, sure. still getting mold and condensation. Okay, case number B, they may have 50 dogs, there may be 30 people different living in that one room. Different for each case. Completely different cases. Yeah, I understand. If you have any questions or queries for future podcasts, then you can email robert at dampdetectives.co.uk and you could be part of the next show. The Damp Detectives Podcast, investigating damp and mould in your home. Which leads quite neatly on to, will insulation or insulating my house make a difference? We've talked about <laughs> insulation when we yes. were talking about condensation, but it's a question. Yes. People think that the reason why they've got mould and condensation is the fact that the house isn't insulated. Insulation insulates it doesn't warm the house up. The point is, if you never turn your central heating on, then insulation won't make your house warm. It will stay at the temperature that you've got it at. Yep. Yep. So if you've got your house at 10 degrees centigrade, the insulation will keep your house at 10 degrees centigrade, even if it's 30 degrees centigrade outside. Yeah. So insulation insulates, but the realisation was in 1957 by a German called Mr Glazier. He realised that moisture will pass into a cavity wall and condense in a cavity wall. So what we do now is we fill our cavities. You've got these firms hurtling around the place. With the foam. Putting in whatever and seal up that wall. And in fact, building standards allow that. They say that's great. But the building standards understand that moisture will condense in that cavity wall. It will soak the insulation. And the insulation, when it becomes wet, is simply a wet blanket. Now, we all know that if we stand there in pouring rain with a blanket around us, the moment that blanket starts getting wet, we start getting cold. And it draws the energy out of us. It really starts making us cold. So effectively, you end up with a wet blanket around the house. And that creates even more of a problem. Well, so why is that still a popular 
device, the cavity wall insulation that we hear about. You see adverts for it still well, on TV. The problem with that is on paper, it works. It ticks the box. It cuts down our carbon emissions. And everything is done on a dry house. You're considering a dry house. Yep. Do it in your plans. Everything works because it's all dry. Funnily enough, I was talking to two professors who are working for a university, and for six years, they have been on a study looking at air quality, moisture in the air, yep. all this sort of thing. And I said to them, of these houses that you looked at and the flats, which ones were damp and which ones were dry? And I got stunned silence. And they said, we didn't actually look at that. And the point is, I said, well, it really makes your results completely different. If house A is completely dry and everything's working in there and you're taking readings, and then you've got flat B and you're taking readings in there, but if you don't know that the walls are wet or that the insulation is wet, it will completely change your readings because although the air readings don't change, the wall readings will change and you're not monitoring that. And therefore, you can't see what's it's going a on. You're getting false results. You're not taking everything into account. And what we're not doing in lots of government papers and building regulations and all this sort of thing, they're not taking into account that the walls might be wet. If you stand out in a garden for 100 years, you're going to get pretty battered. You're going to look pretty sad because you'll be hit by rain at 80 miles an hour. You'll be hit by dust. You'll have birds drilling away at your head, all sorts of things. At the, <laughs> at the end of it, this is what a house has to go through. Yes. But what the thing about us, we're clever. We go to sleep and we repair ourselves. So if we get banged on the head, when we go to sleep, we heal. We heal. Houses can't do that. So you build a house and you put it out in the open and it gets battered with everything and you expect it to heal Yeah. because yeah. it can't heal. It's not healing and therefore bits fall off it. Rain will start to penetrate. Rain will gradually start to get in and therefore areas of the house will, without you knowing it, gradually start to get wet. And every house is going to be different. Yes, it because is. Because that battering yeah. affects every individual house differently. Absolutely. So there isn't a blanket solution no. to everything. It's what you said earlier, is everything has to be taken on its own merits. Yes. It, every case is different. Yes. It's, it's not just a general panacea will fix yes. moisture, condensation, whatever. No. Everything has little tiny differences. Yes, it does. And the point is... I mean, we move into a house and whether we're there 10 years or if it becomes our family home for 30 years. Yep. OK, during that 30 years, we might have to fix. In fact, once my wife said to me, we had a loft extension with a flat roof. They have a 20 year guarantee on this flat roof and we're fast asleep. <laughs> my wife wakes up and she said, you're the damp detective. And I said, yeah. She said, tell me why water's dripping on my forehead. <laughs> so... I had to get an extra long ladder, get right up on the top. And this is another floor above. So I'm talking two floors from okay. where the head's being dripped. Another floor above. And I suddenly realised the flat roof had disappeared because it had worn away. The sun had made it brittle. The wind had worked on it. And it had started curling up. And there was whole great big areas of exposed woodwork. So for about five years, rain had just been soaking into this. And then eventually it dropped 
down another floor the, and the then old... it started dripping on my wife's head. So, good job it didn't drip on my head, that's right. So, <laughs> so the thing is, I then went up and I fixed a flat roof. I relayed a completely new roof. Yep. What we don't think about is what we can't see. So we don't, we look at the chimneys, even surveyors, you know, building surveyors may look at chimneys through a pair of binoculars from down below. Well, that's no damn good because they've got to look from above. They've got to look at the chimney from above because concrete, when it's been drilled by the weather for 10, 20 years, yes. you'll start getting cracks in it and water will start working its way in. So really what should be happening is every 10 years or so should get us a surveyor to come and look at your property and just see where the water is beginning to get in somewhere and then you can stop all these problems before they get really bad. Exactly this has happened. Before Christmas, my upstairs neighbour, I'm a ground floor flat, yeah. first floor flat, they moved out and they've sold it. The new owner's surveyor came round and I saw him because I'm sitting in my bay window and he's on the other side of the road with a pair of binoculars. Yeah. Scanning the house, exactly what you've just talked about. And a month after that, my new neighbour moves in to discover half the ceiling is wet. And they get another surveyor in who gets into the loft and mirroring exactly what you've just said, he discovers where water is getting in yeah. and it's through yes. cracks in the chimney that Buster, before Christmas, <laughs> with his binoculars couldn't see Could any see of it. it. Perfect example of real life imitating exactly what you've explained. We had a lady in Scotland who became a damp detective surveyor and she was our client and we went to her and for about eight years she'd been complaining. She had a daughter who was asthmatic okay. and severe asthma and every now and then the daughter got rushed to hospital and she was constantly complaining to her council because she was a tenant that yeah. she had this problem. And Different surveyors would roll up and go, that's condensation, that's your, you know, this, that, improve your ventilation, put in an extractor fan, do this, do that, do that. We went up there. This is Scotland. I live in Plymouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we went up there and we found that the top section of a chimney was missing. Now, the one thing she said to me, which everyone had ignored, was she said, when I open my cupboards, there's all this black powdery stuff all over the place. And it was soot. And she said, I hoover it up and I get it out of the way. And a couple of days later, I've got it again. And what was happening was that the air would blow down the chimney yep. because the top section of the chimney was missing yep. and simply blow the soot into the house. And that was aggravating the asthma. That was absolutely. And it was that simple, but nobody went actually up and looked until we actually went up and looked at the top of the chimney. Nobody actually did that. And, and there I went, oh, look, the reason is you haven't got a chimney. It's disappeared. <laughs> That's not rocket science, is it? <laughs> no, it but really see, isn't. But the whole thing about damp and mould and condensation is it isn't rocket science. Normally the problems have been going for years. They may have been going for 20 years. Yeah. And it's only when it starts to happen that you visibly see it that what happens is that people then look at the symptom because that's a symptom of a leak over there for 20 yep. years. They look at the symptom and address the symptom. Oh, let's paint it over. It's got mould there. Wash it off. Oh, we've got moulds come back. Paint it. Moulds, something else, spray yep. it. Do something else with it. This is e exactly it. what I was doing with that kitchen wall of mine. Yeah. 
was addressing that, and it was 10 years of just continuing before someone said, it's the concrete outside, yes. which is over your damp course. Yes. I'm not a builder, so no. I didn't know. But it just took one builder two minutes to say, that's the problem. Yes, well, that's what I call the bleeding obvious part of the survey. Robert, earlier we talked a little bit, you mentioned rainforests and humidity <laughs> and everything, and then we moved you know on somewhere else. You know where I go on my holidays now, don't you? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's not a lot to do with mould. But I'm told, talking of humidity, that relative humidity, if it's... Above 70%, this is the sort of given equation that people get, that you'll get mould. Yeah. And I'm told to warm up my house to bring that relative humidity down. Will that dry the air? Will that get rid of the problem? Well, the answer is no. Thank um, you. Sorry, put it in a nutshell. Relative humidity is banded about a lot and... You'll see lots of council websites talk about the fact that if relative humidity is kept above 70%, mould will grow. Yep. That's fine. It does. It will. Okay. But the factor is somebody will come in, maybe an extractor fan salesman, and this has happened quite often, walk in with his hygrometer, says, oh, you've got more than 70%, you must have a couple of extractor fans put in. So they sell them the extractor fans. The thing is that relative humidity is the amount of moisture in the air relative to what it should accept. Now, when you warm the air up, you expand the air so the relative humidity comes down. But it doesn't make the house any drier. It doesn't make the air any drier. The amount of moisture is still there. It's just that you've expanded the air a bit and therefore relative, it's less. Yeah. But the point is in the summer, the Met Office would tell you in the summer that from June till about October, early October, the relative humidity outside during the daylight can be 90%. Yeah. And people are sold dehumidifiers on the strength of the fact that a one reading of 70%, oh, wow, you must get a dehumidifier, start dehumidifying. But generally, the best dehumidifier in the world is normally outside your window. At night time, when the air cools down, the air physically dries. This is why in Antarctica, with extremely cold air, there is no moisture in the air. And so the external air during nighttime is very good dehumidifier. It's far more efficient than you can buy one, a commercial one. So if you simply dump your air at night, open the air, two windows for two minutes. As you said, two, two minutes, windows for a few boom, minutes. Boom, you are dumping all that wet air and introducing drier air and therefore you don't need dehumidifiers and things like that. This is why this relative humidity, this magic figure of 70, is a bit misleading because you can go and have a shower and the relative humidity will read 70, and then half an hour later, the relative humidity is dropped because you're not having a shower anymore. And therefore it's ambiguous, it really is ambiguous. Yeah, it doesn't work. It's one of these things, it's a generalisation. Yeah. And a whole industry is built on this generalisation, but individually it doesn't work like that. Understood. On yeah. that note, Robert, thank you very much indeed. A pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Don't forget, if you want to be part of the next podcast, email your questions to robert at dampdetectives.co.uk. The Damp Detectives podcast was presented by John Isles. Copyright Damp Detectives. Produced by Fresh Air Studios. Fresh Air Studios.